This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You, who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Good morning. There I am. My name's Tyler Shaw. I'm the worship pastor here, and uh, I, I get to speak this morning. I want to just start off by um, kind of giving a preview of what the next couple weeks look like um, as a church. Next week, we have uh, somebody who's been in our church for a long time, but has never spoken. And I'm really excited to hear what this person, and you're going to have to come and find out who it is, but I'm excited to hear more of this person's story. And uh, so that'll be next Sunday. The the Wednesday right after that is uh, Thanksgiving Eve, believe it or not. I mean, like Christmas is coming like a freight train, isn't it? But uh, every Christmas, or excuse me, Thanksgiving Eve on Wednesday, we we get to celebrate God's faithfulness and hear people's uh, stories of transformation, what God is doing in their life. And uh, I've always found those to be one one of our most encouraging services of the year. I encourage you to to come to to that and be a part of that. Unusual this year, but Advent starts that same weekend. That that Sunday right after Thanksgiving is December first. It's our first Sunday of Advent. We're going to start uh, our, our new Advent series. Todd McCarroll, our new lead pastor, that will be his first Sunday here. We're going to do an induction or an installation or whatever they do. It's like a in the, we'll have a new lead pastor. I'm excited about that, and uh, we've been planning together our, our our series. Actually, we as a whole staff have been planning together. Worth the wait, rediscovering the, the promise of Christmas. And just the uh, acknowledgement of a couple things. First, Advent means coming. And it's that anticipation of the coming King. And, and what, what implications that has for our life. And so we look back to, to Christ's first coming. We look forward. And, and the hope is, is that we, as we live in this in-between time, that there's still opportunities for us to discover what all that means in terms of the, the Christmas story and how that can bring hope and peace and joy and those kinds of things to our lives. And so hopefully that is an encouraging for you, even if you're a cynic or if you're just not sure. So I invite you back for that. So that's two weeks away. Uh, real quick, I want to just pray real quick for uh, the Philippines and the people there. That's been in the news a lot, as you know. I was excited to see how much people from our community and businesses and stuff have been chipping in for that. 
We have um, people who, who attend our church who have family there that they haven't heard from. And um, I don't know if you're aware of the numbers, but it, it, would be, uh, it, it would be similar to if you took three times the number of people who live in Alaska, and that's the number roughly of people who have been displaced and stuff like that. So could we pray for them real quick? Lord, we do. We lift up uh, the people in Philippines. We lift up families. We lift up hearts and uh, trust that you will do what only you can do, and that's bring hope to hopeless situations, uh, to bring justice. Uh, God, to use your people, your church, to encourage people. And uh, we pray pray your hand of protection, your, your hand of healing for, for that nation, uh, for those people. And uh, we lift up our brothers and sisters who have family there as well. God, now as we look at your word this morning, may we hear from your spirit and uh, respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were uh, paying attention during the scripture reading, um, <clears throat> basically what you learn is that about half of our congregation who are women, off the hook, right? The the rest of us men, uh, probably, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go on a limb and say most of us are probably circumcised. And for the few that aren't, I'm, I'm guessing you don't feel obligated to do that today. We're done. Let's just pray. Maybe we could meditate for 25 minutes. No? Okay, maybe not. All right, I'm being funny, but hey, where where I kind of want to go today? Well, first let me let me share just a little bit my own motivation and how I kind of ended up here. And the opportunities, few opportunities I've had to speak, I find this is case. I get an idea about something, and maybe something God's working in my heart, and I and I get an idea about a script scripture, and I, I get kind of excited. And then when I go to study, it says something a little bit different. And so I said, well, am I going to do my thing or God's thing? And so it's a little bit like that at this time as well. But at any rate, what I have found my whole life, I have this struggle. And I know that probably a lot of us, if not all of us, have had this struggle too. But it's just trying to understand the interplay between my effort and my call to change my behavior and what God is doing in my life. And we have all these terms, you know, that get thrown around if you've been in church your, your life, but legalism and, and judgmentalism and, and striving. We're not supposed to do that, but somehow we're supposed to have works in keeping with, uh, you know, our faith and, and, and it becomes confusing for me sometimes. And, and honestly, I've, I've gone to even personal counseling before trying to understand what's going on in my heart when it comes to work and to rest and things like that. So I don't know if you've had that, but I, I certainly have. And uh, so I was thinking about Galatians. And uh, the end of this passage, when we get down there, I just want to point this out. So it starts off, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free, and it ends up. So the only thing that counts, the only thing that it counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so what I'm hoping to do is we kind of... We're going to use this passage to do kind of a flyover of Galatians, if you will, and take a quick peek. And um, But where I want to end up is unpacking so that we can understand this is what really matters, Paul says, is faith expressing itself in love. And so I want to, I want to unpack that a little bit. I'm just going to, as an introduction, read a, a couple of the first verses here again. Says it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, and here what might be ringing in the audience of the listeners is he's made a point 
that he is an apostle appointed by God. He is the one who originally brought to them this message, this good news of the gospel. So he's reminding them, I, Paul, mark my words, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So just to um, back up a little bit and, and give some context, and you know we're maybe in various degrees of our understanding of Jewish culture and how it interplays with Christianity, but just real quick, a brief history. You know, uh, clear back in Abraham's time, God came to Abraham and He gave him a promise, and He said, "I'm going to bless. I'm going to make a covenant with you, and through you and your offspring, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world." And it says Abraham believed God; it was credited to him as righteousness, and that becomes foundational in that interchange that God made a promise and that Abraham put his faith in it. That comes foundational even in our faith today. And Paul will refer to that as he talks about the interplay between Christianity and and Jewish law. But anyway, in the course of time, what happened is God has revealed himself and, and he's covenanted with the Jewish nation. I will be your God, you will be my people. And the law was given and the law is good. The New Testament tells us it's good because it reveals something about who God is. It reveals that He wants to live in relationship with us. It reveals that He's holy and perfect. He's not arbitrary and capricious. It reveals that He's one. It reveals that He's relationship is 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 extremely important. So all these things were very important in the law. But it also introduced a whole bunch of ceremonial things we had to do in order to live out our covenant relationship with God. So there, you know, there's certain feasts, there's sacrifices, there was rules on the Sabbath and stuff like that. And then Jewish leaders, what they did when they got that is, said, well, it's not specific, for example, how far you can walk on the Sabbath. So let's figure out what the rule is about how far you can walk. And so by the time Jesus came around, there was all these additional rules on top of those ceremonial things that were prescribed in Scripture, how we measure, how we keep track of everything to make sure that we keep the law. And so... Um, you come into the New Testament and you can read about how the, the church developed in Acts. Now, when we start the book of Acts, which is right after the Gospels, Christ is taken up into heaven. He says, you will be my witnesses. And the church is born, but they didn't call it the church. They didn't understand. They're, they're discovering, they're watching what God is doing through the Holy Spirit around them. And they're trying to discern, what is God doing? And one of the things that blew the early church away, because initially it was a group of Jewish believers. Predominantly, These are people who their understanding of how God covenanted relationship with his people is through the law. It was a religious system that worked. It was a religious system that, that had a way of dealing with sin. You did sacrifices. But now as the gospel was born, what began to happen is they see that the Holy Spirit is working amongst Gentile, the sinners, the people who are outside the covenant, the people who don't have the law. They're seeing God do miraculous things. And they're like, what in the world is going on here? It's hard for us from our Western mindset to understand how much the unsettling that must have been. Particularly if you were, you know, a devout Jew, as Paul was. See, Paul, when initially in his early life, when he saw this, what did he do? He persecuted the church because they were getting away from the law, the one true God. 
So anyway, the early church, they get together. They're trying to figure out how do we respond to this? And in particular, how, how do we tell the Gentiles what they do? Because in the past, if you were a God-fearer, if you were a person who was not a Jew by birth, but you wanted, you wanted to live in that covenant relationship, you essentially had to live as a Jew. And so in Acts 15, they gather the leaders of the church together, and they go, what are we going to do? How do we understand what's happening? And the question they were basically asking in Genesis 15 is, when Gentiles become a Christian, then they do, they also have to become a Jew. Did they also have to adopt? Because, see, they didn't think of themselves as a religion apart from Judaism. And so, um, you can read about an Acts. It's very interesting. It's it's high stakes game, and you, you you're glad that the Holy Spirit was there. <laughs> and I want to read just a short section. This is from Acts 15, and this is Peter who stood up. And this is what Peter says. He says. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. He's talking about Gentile sinners, the way that they, you know. That he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. That we Jews are saved. We believe it is through the grace of Jesus Christ now. And the same for them, just as they are. So, that decided, that made a, that was a huge decision about how the church was going to go forward. And I think it was in Paul's second missionary journey, he, he got up to Galatia and he planted some churches and God did his thing that he does with the Holy Spirit and calling people to himself and they saw some things. But, you know, in the church you had people who were ensconced in this Jewish way of doing things, probably people who were sincere, all the way up to people who were using it for their own benefit. But at any rate, they somehow they made it up to Galatia after Paul. In all of Paul's letters, and if you don't know, he wrote a lot of the New Testament letters. The way they typically go is something like this. Greetings, you know, God, Apostle, thank you, blah, 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 blah. And then he launches in the letter and he'll say something like, I'm so thankful for you and how the gospel has been spreading in you and what God has been doing. And, you know, even Corinthians, who uh, we look at Corinthian letters as like, man, they were a messed up church, you know, almost as bad as us. No. Uh, they are messed up, but he still, I mean, it's very, very, but Galatians is different. Galatians, it's like he heard news and he sat down that night, probably with a scribe, but at any rate. So he does his opening, grace and peace to you, blah, blah, blah. Verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. He's basically, he goes, hey, greeting, glad. What are you doing? So this is important as we understand what Paul is trying to address because uh, you can't simply say, let me, let me clarify a few things. You can't simply say that what Paul was addressing was what we might think of as works righteousness, the idea that I get righteous before God by doing good things. Okay, it was bigger than that. And let me explain. 
if the Judaizers, that's a term that they use, for people who were saying, look, it's not just Jesus you need, you need Jesus plus Moses. So when you become a Christian, what you need to do now is become a Jew, essentially. He says, if they had won the day, then you and I, if if you were a, a, a male and you became a Christian and you weren't circumcised, you would be compelled to. And there would be no bacon. All right, who wants to be a freedom fighter now? See, I like bacon. Seriously, though. You see, it, it was that, you know, it's not just Jesus, but we now we have to follow these rules and regulations. And this is the way in which we live out our relationship before God, is we keep these ceremonies and we keep these these regulations and feasts, and we have this. And in a sense, what it ended up being was cultural imperialism. It was a, it was a, it's not good enough just to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. You also have to become a Jew as a way that you live. So it wasn't simply a, a, a way to earn, because Jews had a way to become righteous. You offer sacrifices. See, you perform the ritual. You do the duty. So, as a broad um, application for this passage for us, I ask the question, as a church, maybe we don't have a real super formal um, way that we say you have to do Christianity. I had a, a professor in college, he said that he went to uh, China one time, and he visited this church, and he said it looked exactly like a church from New England. You know, and maybe that was okay. But see, how do we as a church body, as Community Covenant Church, what do we maybe in some subtle way, what is our culture? What are some, some things that we subtly kind of say, well, yeah, it's good to be a Christian, but you need to also belong to this particular political party. Or you need to belong to this particular socioeconomic. Or you need to educate your kids this way. We don't have it formal, but those are the things that we want to, to guard against, if you will, because what we want to do is say, no, the thing that matters is Jesus Christ. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard that, Jesus Christ plus nothing. It's Jesus Christ. In terms of our standing, in terms of where our justification comes from. So, ideally, and we all bear responsibilities as somebody comes to the door, what they... What they hear is, there's only one way, there's only one way to get saved. It's just knowing Jesus. And you don't have to belong to my political party. You don't have to belong to my club. You don't have to join my group. So that's just a broad application for us as a church. How do we present the gospel? Is Jesus Christ sufficient, or do we have to add something on to it? All right, I'm going to go on to the next verse here. Verse 4 says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. What Paul is, is basically saying is, grace, the grace of Jesus Christ in which we've been brought into, and the whole method by which we justify and, and set ourselves right by our cultural, by our system, by our family, whatever 
practices are incompatible. They lead to two different kinds of existence. I'm going to borrow just a little bit this morning from John Ortberg. Um, part of what happens, and if you if you followed Christ for a while, um, you, you know it's it's easy for us in some ways. I think to say, yeah, Christ saved me from my past, and and you know, thank God for the grace of God, He saved me from my past. Uh, but now, now only bad people need grace. See, when I was bad before, I needed God's grace. But now I'm good, I'm a Christian. We may not think that consciously, but what we do, um, um, to use John Ortberg's illustration, I like, you know, I, I like having a good smartphone. Guys like me need a smartphone. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so I like having, but, you know, they have all the updates you can get and stuff, you know, the certain, you know, do you have... Uh, Android 4.1 or, you know. And so what we do as a part of our walk with Jesus when we come and we start a relationship, you know, we talk about there's a, uh, a theological term justification, which means I'm righteous before God because of what Christ did for me. But now we begin a process, this word called sanctification, and it's where we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. We adopt the character of Jesus Christ. And what happens unconsciously because our systems for how we be good are so ingrained in who we are that we got from our family, that we got from our community, that we got through uh, the socio-economic just system that we grew up in, that we begin to transfer that the work of becoming good now is dependent on those things rather than the grace of God. What Paul is saying, look, if you're going to look, look at those things, then the grace of Jesus Christ has no value to you. It's not going to work. What he's saying is that being saved, if it's a process, I continually look to the grace of Jesus Christ to be justified. When I don't measure up in some way, it's not incumbent on me to perform to measure up. Jesus measures up. My good acts, my good works aren't good enough. Jesus is good enough. I was driving in Salem one time. I went to school there, and the school I was at, it was a college, was outside, and it was near a prison, county prison. And there was a stretch of road, a straight, straight stretch, and a highway. You, know, you could go 55, 60, and I passed this guy. First I thought, okay, he has to walk a long way. He's walking toward town. I thought, he's walking toward town. He's probably walking from the prison. He's a lot smaller than me. That, those are kind of my thought process. So I, I pulled my car over, but by the time I got stopped, I was probably over a quarter mile away. And I called, I got out of my car, I yelled back, you want a ride? And he's going, rah, rah, rah. And I couldn't quite hear him, and I waved at him like this, you know, and, and he, he kind of did this kind of a thing. And I'm like, hmm. And then he's getting closer, and I'm noticing as he's getting closer, he's got something all over him. He had a jacket, he had a white shirt, and, and I'm thinking, is that like, Oil or what is? And I, he gets closer, and it's dried blood. Can't dried blood up. So he didn't seem too scary. Beside that, <laughs> so he gets in my car, and I kid you not, the the discussion for the next five or ten minutes was this. He goes, he was basically telling me that he's a really good guy. He got drunk, 
He got in a fight at a bar the night before, thrown in prison, but he's a really good guy. Do you realize that's what you and I look like and sound like when we try and justify ourselves before a holy God? Look, I'm actually a really good person. Really? I mean, I listened to this guy for five or ten minutes and I finally said, look, you're no good and I'm no good either. So let's just, you know. That shut him up, so that was good. Grace is not for bad people. I like Dallas Willard. Uh, he, he talks about that the people who have learned to allow the, the character of, of God in their heart, what they realize is they're grace consumers. I'm dependent every day on the position that God has given me in Jesus Christ as his child. The, the, his spirit that he's put in my life, every day I'm dependent on that. And so on days when I'm quote-unquote good, I can look to the grace of God and say, God, thank you. On the days when I'm bad, you know, I hate to use those terms because they're so misused. But I can look to the grace of God and say, thank you. I'm still your child. You see? There's, there's no upgrade apart from the grace of God. It's Jesus Christ is sufficient. Just as a, a practical matter that's not necessarily in this text, but one that I, a, a dynamic that I feel like works in my life, is I try and sort this out. And I, I guess I want to uh, take a, a slight pause and make something really clear. I, I want to make clear that I'm not saying that good works are bad. And in fact, the Bible makes it really clear that you and I are going to be judged on our works. Old Testament preaches that. New Testament preaches that. There, that. In other words, our lives are going to be evaluated on what we did. That's a sobering thought. I don't know if it is for you, but it's very sobering for me. But... That reality doesn't mean that by doing something, I can change what's wrong with my heart. See? What grace is, what Jesus introduced when he came, is that there's a whole different way in which we want to have good works displayed in our life. Good things. The whole different way. In the law, what was it? You do these things. You do well, check, check, check. Then somehow you're good. That somehow that means that you're good. When Jesus came, if you if you read the Sermon on the Mount, I think a big thing that Jesus is stressing in there is that look, if you think you're good because you do this, in fact, to truly keep the law, you have to go a lot further than what you thought. It's a heart issue. And so what God wants to do in you and I is to produce the kind of person in me and in you that naturally does those things. So when I have a conflict with my wife, I don't try and be patient because I'm a good person. I'm patient because of the goodness that God is creating in my heart. Do you hear there's a subtle difference in there? And it's hard to tell the difference. I know, it is, it's hard. It's like I'm going back and forth. I don't want to just do something because it's the good thing to do. And yet we're called to do good things. And so there's this constant struggle. I, I get that. 
And I'm going to address that a little bit more later. But I wanted to point out that when you when you get trapped in systems and families like you know you know if if you're a godly person you keep a clean house that your kids uh, get a certain level of grades that if you're a good person you 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 live in a certain neighborhood or whatever the construct is that maybe you got from your family or from your community that you grew up in. Um, when you don't measure up, what happens is, because it's, have you noticed when you have those kind of rules, it's not right clear where you cross the line from bad to good. You know, it's like, do I have to be better than 80% of the people? Do I have to tell the truth? If I tell the truth 90% of the time, is that pretty good? Or is it 90, you know, and how much, you know, and so what, it creates a relationship with my Lord and my Savior where I'm never quite sure. I'm never quite sure. I wonder if he's going to be mad at me today. <sighs> Lord, I thank you for loving me because, you see. Now, is there a place for guilt? Is there a place for conviction? Absolutely. But my standing with God, my opportunity to come into his presence and receive forgiveness is not based on my performance. See, it's, it's based on the performance of Jesus Christ. And the knowledge that I'm very valuable to God. Even before I accepted Christ. Some of us need to hear that today. If you're far away from God, you've never... I want you to know, and you feel like trash, God values you infinitely right where you're at. God doesn't add value. He may add usefulness. He may, he may make it so that your relationship with him becomes full. He proved your value when he sent Jesus Christ to die. This is good news. So I know when I come into the presence of God as a believer who's messed up, my value's not in question. Do I have some performance issues? Yeah. Do we, does, does God and I, yeah, he values me though. He values you regardless of your response and reaction to him today. So there's a fundamental difference. The fundamental difference is God wants to create in me the kind of person who does good works rather than a person who thinks by doing good works, by fitting into the system, by whatever, that I'm somehow measuring up I'm a a good person. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. One of the realities that you see kind of unfold in Galatians, and Romans deals with this a lot. There's a lot of places in the New Testament that they're they're dealing with this. And it it plays out in Judaism, but you can see how it plays out in all of our lives. This, This wanting to measure up, this wanting to to justify ourselves by how we live and who we live with and all those kinds of things. And what happens is, is when, when, you, when you say, well, you know, Christ abolished the law in terms of its effectiveness for how we now have relationship with God. The law is fulfilled, to be sure. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So I don't have to live in covenant relationship through the law. I live through the person of Jesus Christ now who fulfilled the requirements of the law for me. 
But what that feels like to people who keep rules in the Jew, I mean, it was like, oh my goodness, mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, how are we going to keep people in line? Well, you know, when you, when you remove these, these, the guidelines that, that the, you know, the Old Testament, the, the, the rituals and the how we, how are we going to keep people in line if we don't have these rules and systems and, and ways of behaving? Well, Paul's answer is we have the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to work in our life. And so this is a big theme in Galatians. And you get into Galatians uh, chapter 5, and probably a lot of you, if not most of you, are familiar with the the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You're kind of familiar with that. I want to point out just a couple things real quick from that. First, it's not fruits of the Spirit. Like, like, like gifts, you know, it's not like we go to the, the, uh, market and say, well, I'll, I'll take oranges and apples, but I don't really like berries. I'm not, you know, the seeds. I'm not, you know, it's not like that. It's, it's a little bit more like, uh, um, you know how when you, you read like a, um, the manufacturer's description of a, let's say a coffee, it's like, well, you know, it, the first, a hit on the palate will rem- will be slightly fruity and sweet with a a, bl- a blend of hickory and something and and then you'll notice af- uh, earthy tones uh, and and something and with a finish of hickory and whatever and you're like tastes like burnt Folgers to me I don't, you know <laughs> but but the point is. The, the fruit of the Spirit is like that. It's all those things that's working in, in our heart, the character of Jesus that gets worked out. And this is really important. It's not for my, you know, internal existential whatever enjoyment, just for me. I'm, I'm feeling joy and I'm feeling peace. That must be the fruit of the Spirit. Well, maybe, but really where it's directed is how I interact. See? The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in how I conduct my relationships. There's there's a few uh, signs, and I'm I'm just going to mention them briefly. I'm not going to turn to them, but but when when we are not allowing the spirit to work, but instead we're relying on our flesh, that our ability to measure up or whatever. There's there's a few signs as you read through Galatians, you see some of the things that were happening, and one is is division. Division happens when we start using these exterior standards by saying, you know, well, you know, if if you're not, uh, if you, if you haven't been a part of the mountain men, then you're, you know, you can't really, you know. Or and specifically, what happened in uh, in Galatia is because there were certain eating things related to how they would eat a ritual with the Jewish thing. And if you had Gentiles who weren't a part of that, then the Jews start separating themselves. They start, see, because you guys aren't really good Christians because you're not doing these things here, you see. So that's a a symptom or a sign when there's division, that that might be the case. Another one is in, in later on he talks about not comparing. Boy, we're good at comparing, aren't we? We love to pull out the measuring stick. As though if I compare myself to you, or you compare, that's a good measure? Is that a good measure? Yet we naturally do that. That's the world in which we live. Comparing and measuring. Jesus addressed this. A couple of my uh, favorite parables. One, when the rich young ruler 
comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in one of the Gospels, it says, good teacher. And Jesus, either intuitively or just because of his divine capabilities, it's like he honed in right away what the issue was. He asked him, why do you call me good? See, measure. What must I do? What measurement do I have to do to be good, to inherit? And Jesus says, well, you know about the commandments. And he goes, yeah, I've done all those. Jesus goes, okay. Just one thing. Sell everything you have. You see, if you want to operate on that system, then you have to go all the way. That's the only way to do it. You have to become a person who does everything. Another example, if that makes sense, hopefully, but another example is the, uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So what's the Jewish leader ask? He asks, um, so who's my neighbor, right? Real, the real question is, I mean, because we're good at measuring. So, like, two doors down, three doors down, you know, if somebody drives, just driving through my neighborhood, hits my car, are they a neighbor, or can I trash them for hitting my car? You know what I'm saying? See, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a parable, and in the end he says, the question is not who my neighbor, but is are you neighborly? That's the question. And it's over the top. I mean, a Samaritan who says anything... Anything you need, I'll pay for it. I mean, that is so ridiculously over the top. But see, I don't think Jesus liked our measuring systems. Because we can't measure up based on our performance. Thank God that Jesus measures up. We can trust in Him. So, in relationship to the Spirit, I want to ask you something. See, I grew up in a tradition that I value. It taught me a lot of good things. But one of the things that I think maybe it was a little bit off, but anytime the topic of the Spirit... Now, this is, we're talking about the third person of the Trinity. We're talking about God who dwells in us, right? But in the tradition I grew up in, it was like, well... Um, the Spirit spoke. He didn't. He doesn't speak. He doesn't work now. He, he did something. And, and we have the Bible, and if you want to know what the Spirit said, you just read the Bible. Well, that's not the sense of the New Testament at all. If you read through Acts, I mean, the Holy Spirit is just moving and working. And when you read this, I mean, what Paul is saying is, look, the Spirit is at work in you. God is at work. He's doing something. He's not just sitting around. So we have faith that God wants to do something. He values me as I yield my heart. He wants to do something. He wants to produce the character of Jesus Christ in me. So here's the question. See, I came from a tradition. We don't think like that. So if you suddenly, you Christ followers, if you suddenly had the Holy Spirit disappear from your life for a week, would you notice? Would you notice? Now, I don't want you to get discouraged. I think you would notice. But we, we don't learn to look for it. We don't say, God, what are you doing in my heart and my life? I encourage you to think about, God, what do you, what do you want? I need this. This area of my life is out of whack. It's not inconsistent with Jesus. Would you produce that in me? See, God wants to work in your life. He wants to speak to you. And I'm not talking, I've been, I don't know that I've ever heard an audible voice. But as I look for his work, I begin to see, oh, I see God doing this. I think God's doing this. 
Look how this has changed. I used to be very tempted in this area, and somehow it's just lost its power. Praise God for what he's doing. He's teaching me. I don't need that. So, very quickly, I'm going to try and finish up here in the next couple of minutes. It says, for in Christ Jesus... For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Here's basically the point I want to make here. The question is not what you do, but why you do it. See? Don't compare yourself to others. But each person should examine their own heart. That's Galatians 6. Don't provoke one another. See, why am I doing that? God, help me understand why I said what I just said. Good things are extremely important. But the why is because I want the character of Jesus to come through me and not to impress somebody. Not so I think that, well, if I do this enough times, if I do enough Hail Marys, if I do my devotions or whatever, that somehow I'm going to be a good person. No, you're a good person because Jesus made you a good person. So circumcision, it doesn't matter. In, in fact, Paul, at one point uh, with, with Timothy, he had him get circumcised. But not so that he would be right, made righteous before God. It was, it was for the advancement of the gospel. It's so the whole circumcision issue would be a non-issue when it came to sharing the gospel. See, what matters is faith expressing itself in love. I want to share just a quick prayer, and if you're not somebody who want to write, which I'm not, just I want to encourage you to to, to kind of commit this idea to memory. So, because we come up against those moments, I know I do in my life. I said, "Why am I doing this? Why did I say that?" And not that I have to get all wrapped up in my brain all the time, but I can just acknowledge, Lord, I choose not to justify it by myself by performing good acts, but simply trust in the good acts of Jesus for me. And I submit to your Spirit's work to produce the character of Jesus in my life. It's still hard work. I still do stuff. But I, I want to think about why I'm doing it. I want to do it for the right reasons. I want to do it because I'm submitting to Jesus. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, the last. So what's, what's faith? Faith in the sufficiency of Christ. His goodness is enough. And it's way better than mine or yours. It's faith in the work of the Spirit. That God is doing something in me that i got to yield to. Hard work? Absolutely. To lead to good things? Good works? Absolutely. But I can't do those things on my own. And not have a right heart without the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, express itself through love. It's expressed through how I interact through other people. That character of Christ is going to come out in my interactions. It's not something that just happens in my mind and in my heart. It comes out in real rubber-meets-the-road kind of living. I hope that encourages you. I hope that that challenges you. I hope that that gives you some way to help navigate that, because I need that. I want, to, I want to be radical for Jesus, but I want it to be for Jesus, not for me or for some... You know what I'm saying? Anyway, would you pray with me and let's close. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your grace is enough for us. That your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We're not missing anything. 
We simply need to yield our hearts to you, to your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, live in us. In Jesus' name, amen.